I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I can't spell at all. <laughs> I'm Melissa Dumont. I'm a writer, producer, director, and my birthday's in two days. Oh, my God. Not like from when we're recording. but Oh, I was like, what? It's January. <laughs> yeah, but when this episode comes out. That's so exciting. What are we going to do for your birthday? No clue yet. But me and my cousin are going to do a joint thing because her birthday oh. is in March. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, at the beginning of March. So, wow. How quickly I was letting my brain be like, it's February. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I do. Can you keep track of time as an adult? I can't anymore. Well, I'm constantly making to-do lists and goal lists and quarterly lists. So oh, that's yeah. how I, I'm keeping track of time. But like now that I'm not in grad school anymore, I'll be like, what day is it? Because a lot of my days are the same. Oh, well. Maybe got to add in a little spice of life. I know. I woke up on Tuesday and I was like, oh, my God, they're coming to clean the house. I have to get everything ready because it's Wednesday. And John was like, it's Tuesday. Well, also Monday was a holiday. So that throws things off. But I worked. Oh, I have well, no excuse. No excuses. Wow. Riveting stuff. Um- <laughs> excuses build bridges to nowhere. What? That's yeah. beautiful. Is it? <laughs> Well, my big thing is that an excuse is different than an explanation. Yeah. And sometimes I still I want to hear people's explanation, even mm-hmm. though it, I, it doesn't necessarily excuse what happened. Correct. Anyway, you might be thinking, where's Gabe? <laughs> <laughs> Not here. Not here. Uh, Gabe uh, forgot what day it was. <laughs> didn't come. No, he's at Sundance raising money and making connections for his indie film. And we're so excited for him. So Melissa is subbing in and doing the whole episode with me today. Tag. Tag? Yeah. Tag, I'm in. Oh, yeah. You're tagged in. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. I'm also working on that film, too. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about it? I'm a producer. We've talked about it before. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Donate money. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> and this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. This is a very wonderful episode, and it's hilarious we don't have Gabe for it. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Because it has to do with polyamory, and both of us are monogamous. I'm monogamous by the fact that my schedule doesn't allot for more. I don't think that's why. We can see. All right. I mean, I've dated multiple people at the same time. Huh. I did one for one week. How was it? It was kind of cool. Yeah? It was stressful, but also cool. Were you in college? No. When was it? Uh, When I, at the end of my relationship with Dan, I said, I'm going to start dating other people because you won't commit to me. And he was like, okay. But I don't think he believed me. And then I, and then I started dating the guy that I dated after him. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So it was a crossover. Oh yeah. There was an overlap. There was an overlap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we have a, a deep dive into polyamory. We do have a deep dive and we are joined by our wonderful guest, Dedeker Winston. And later, we're going to bring the mood way down. <laughs> talk about the 2024 general election, but with the mindset of how do we not lose our minds over this coming year <sighs> and how we can care for ourselves despite the shit show that is about to happen. 
And it's ha- currently already happening. We'll save it for later. I'm not, I'm not ready to think too much about it. <laughs> we'll keep Until it short. future self. <laughs> yeah. Future self 10 minutes from now. Stick around after the break for our wonderful discussion with Dedeker Winston. Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out and I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress, I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something and all of a sudden my brain will go, JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by Electrocore and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which if used twice a day will last approximately six months. It's drug-free and easy-to-use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit Truvega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, and enter promo code Just Between Us to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com. Check out promo code Just Between Us. Just between us, it's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. Today, we are joined by Dedeker Winston, who is an educator, relationship coach, and co-host of the Multi-Amory Podcast, a research-backed relationship advice show that centers non-traditional relationships. She is the author of The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory and Multi-Amory, Essential Tools for Modern Relationships. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So this is hilarious because uh, Gabe's not here uh, and Gabe has been Polly for decades. (laughs) (laughs) But instead, you're going to be interviewed by two monogamous people, which maybe maybe we'll have different types of questions Mm because we have no idea (laughs) how to handle polyamory. And I'm so curious, what is what is the other term that that you're using? Multiamory. Can you explain the difference? Yeah. So um, multi-amory is just the name of my podcast. Um, And it's pretty funny because I think people see the word multi-amory and they get a little freaked out like, oh, no, there's a new term. Oh, no, I'm going to use the wrong term. Oh, no, I'm going to be canceled. Oh, no, I'm going to offend somebody. Oh, what is multi-amory? Right. And so I just have to reassure people. No, like 10, literally 10 years ago when we created the podcast, which for people who are podcasting know that 10 years in podcasting may as well be 200 years in Mm -hmm. regular human time. Um, Yep. I feel that. 10 years ago when we made the podcast, there was this meme floating around among a lot of like the polyamory subreddits and online communities uh, where the joke was polyamory is wrong. You can't mix Greek and Latin roots. It should be either polyphilia or multiamory. And Mm. so we just decided to pick multiamory because polyphilia didn't sound quite as nice to the ear. And so that's literally all yeah, it was. Yeah, it sounds- <laughs> now, when people try to pin us down on like a on like a definition of like no, but really though, what is multiamory? 
you know, over the course of the show, you know, a little bit of the arc of our show is that when we did start the podcast, initially it was like, well, we're polyamorous people. They're going to create a special polyamory show for special polyamorous people that's going to have special polyamorous advice. And then over so many years of like listening to listener questions and people's problems and diving into the research on like what actually makes relationships work, like over time, we really started to realize, oh, a lot of the same stuff that works for good, healthy monogamy also works for polyamory. And so when we think about multiamory now, we kind of like to expand it beyond just, you know, your non-monogamous partnerships, but also into people who are choosing conscious monogamy or people who want to have better relationships with their coworkers, their family members, their friends, because like so much of the research around healthy relationship and healthy communication is fairly universal to human relationship. It's not just about our romantic partnerships. Yeah, I've, I've definitely found that. In my, I wrote a book that was about romantic relationships and people were like, this is helpful for my friendships. <laughs> yeah, like, very much so. Oh yeah, we do like end up using the same tools. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to start off, like how did you realize that you were polyamorous and was there any like internal stigma that you bumped up against upon like deciding that for yourself? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, people are often surprised to find out that I was raised in a conservative Christian evangelical family, basically on a prepper compound out in the woods. And here I am today as the polyamory podcaster. Uh, So it's been (laughs) quite a journey, I would say. You know, I, I think that like many of us, when I started entering my teenage years, I had already received a certain amount of cultural messaging around relationships and how relationships should function. And For me, predominantly, those messages came from the church, they came from Disney films, they came from everything that's in our pop culture, right? And so at the very tender age of 14, you know, the first time that I was, you know, playing around with like, ooh, I have a boyfriend, I'm in a relationship now, I was really disturbed the first time that I was in a relationship, but then found myself still attracted to other people at the same time and still interested in other people because mm-hmm. there was nothing in the cultural messaging that had told me that that's normal, right? And even now, you know, even for people who are hardcore monogamous, that's quite normal to still feel attraction to other people, What you know, like whether you act on it or not. And so I spent many, many years feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm fundamentally broken because everything that the church is telling me and that Disney films are telling me is that as soon as I actually love somebody or if I actually really love somebody, I'm going to have blinders on and I'm not going to be interested in anybody else or feel any attraction to anybody else. And so, you know, I spent many, many years feeling a lot of shame and feeling a lot of that internalized stigma for sure. And you know, I would go through, I think, the cycles that a lot of people go through, which is, you know, being relatively happy in a monogamous relationship, my eye getting caught by somebody else, being in that horrible position of, do I pursue this new person? Do I leave this other relationship? Like, do I cheat on this person? I certainly didn't want to cheat on anybody. And so, like many people, I think, hopped through a long stream of like serial monogamous relationships, sometimes slightly overlapping serial monogamous relationships until my early 20s when I was I was really getting sick of the cycle, to be honest. And I was ranting to my best friend about this. And he was the one who actually suggested, like, have you thought about, you know, trying something like an open relationship or something like that? And 
I was really offended at the suggestion, actually, um, Mm -hmm. because I also had a lot of these messages around what a non-monogamous relationship is. And those messages really included, oh, people in open relationships, um, they're a bunch of sex addicts. uh, They're not really committed. You know, they don't really actually love the people that they're with. Um, And so I was actually really taken aback that he had said that and a little bit upset. But I still went home and like Googled it, you know, and like spent all this time (laughs) in deep, dark, dusty corners of the Internet. You know, like this was this was, gosh, I think like 15 years ago or so, where even only 15 years ago, there's not nearly as many people talking about non-monogamy as there are today. Not nearly as many resources and books and podcasts and YouTube channels and Instagram accounts and all those things. Like there was almost none of that. You know, the best thing I had to go off of was, you know, people's dusty live journal entries that I stumbled upon. (laughs) And, but what it showed to me, like it just totally blew the doors off my reality because I was like, oh, like there's people who are doing different things in relationship. And at least as far as Mm -hmm. I can tell, everybody seems to be consenting and relatively happy and healthy and fulfilled. And so that sent me down a really deep research rabbit hole into finding every single resource that I could find, you know, and back then I think there were like two books, you know, maybe a couple of magazine articles that I could find. And I have to say that like, you know, at that time I was in a monogamous relationship and I all but created a PowerPoint presentation for my partner around like, let me tell you about this thing that I have learned. It's called non-monogamy. And, and I have to say that like it spectacularly failed, (laughs) you know, like it completely imploded (laughs) my relationship, which shouldn't be surprising anybody because my communication skills weren't exactly on point back then. Um, But I think the really important turning point for me was that after that spectacular failure, I didn't have the thought like, oof, that was playing with fire. I I better go back to more familiar territory and never do that again. Mm. You know, after that relationship ended, I had the thought, how can I actually do this better? What do I actually need to work on? How is it that I can communicate in a more effective way so that I can actually have like happy, healthy relationships that are coloring outside the lines? And so... I would love to say then everything was perfect after that. Maybe I, maybe I will say that. Maybe I'll just be like, everything's perfect after that. I figured it out. <laughs> and here I am today. <laughs> Conversation over. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd love to know what, what happened after that PowerPoint and, and once you were single again. Yeah. So I think after that point when I was like, okay, now I'm actually going to figure this out this time. I went through a couple of years of I guess I would call it sort of like a proving ground or maybe experimental phase, as it were, where, you know, I got to have a lot of different experiences of like different types of being non-monogamous, you know, like there was a while where I was in a relationship where it was mostly about like swinging and going to sex parties. And and I was in a relationship for a while where it was mostly about, you know, okay, so like our relationship is is emotionally close, but like, we're okay to have like hookups and stuff like that, as long as it doesn't get too serious. And then I also got to have a fair amount of time in relationships where, you know, the person that I'm dating also has another serious relationship, or I have another serious relationship. So I feel really grateful for that period of time of getting to have all those different experiences, getting to really try on a lot of different ways of relating, and really getting to see what do I like? What do I not like? you know, what are the parts of this that excite me? What are the parts of this that scare me? And I will say that 
it also came along with a fair amount of still that stigma and still that self-doubt, honestly. You know, that like there's a lot of cultural messaging whenever anybody does anything that steps outside of the grain, you know, really questioning, oh, is this actually the case? Is this just because I am scared of commitment? Is this just because I haven't found the right person? Is this just because I have like unresolved daddy trauma or whatever? And I, I think for me, finally spending enough time kind of experimenting. And then a really crucial turning point was also really just like finding people who wanted the same things as me. It sounds like it's so obvious, but sometimes when dating, it's not really that obvious. But, you know, in my journey, once I was able to actually connect to other people who like already identified as non-monogamous or polyamorous or stuff like that, like that was when I started to really experience a full like richness of what a non-monogamous relationship could be like. And, you know, of course, there's been ups and downs since then, because like any relationship has ups and downs. But, you know, I think since that point, you know, I've pretty solidly identified as polyamorous and pretty, pretty solidly that's been my relationship practice. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Has dealing with stress and trying to get more focused a New Year's resolution you haven't cracked yet or don't really know how to fix? I have a lot of trouble staying focused and I also get super stressed out and I think the not being able to stay focused really dovetails with that. So if there was a way for me to keep my focus that didn't also cause my brain to get so scattered with stress, I would love to be able to fix it. I sometimes can't focus on the task at hand because I'm so busy realizing that there are things I need to do on the Just Between Us Instagram account. So I'll be like fully writing something and all of a sudden my brain will go, JBU Instagram, have to post on social media. Truvega is a handheld product that stimulates the vagus nerve to improve overall health and wellness. Stimulating the vagus nerve with Truvega helps to balance and strengthen the nervous system, which reduces stress, increases focus, improves mood, and improves sleep. Truvega is owned by Electrocore and uses its patented technology for overall health and wellness benefits. Its utilized technology is the most clinically studied and tested vagus nerve therapy available. Customizable sessions are only two minutes long. Recommended usage is one session in the morning and one at night. Truvega comes programmed with 350 sessions, which if used twice a day will last approximately six months. It's drug-free and easy to use therapy to help improve your health. No app or phone is required. We offer free standard shipping, payment plan options, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's only available in the U.S. at this time. Visit Truvega.com, T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com, and enter promo code JUSTBETWEENUS to enhance your wellness journey, support this podcast, and receive $15 off. That's T-R-U-V-A-G-A.com. Check out promo code JUSTBETWEENUS. And we're back. And so like what dynamic works for you when, when you say polyamorous, that tends to imply that you can have full blown emotional relationships with multiple people rather than like we're non-monogamy sometimes, like you alluded to, mm -hmm. it's more just physical with other people or, you know, what made you realize that polyamory or whatever your definition of that for yourself was the right fit? Yeah, 
That's a great question. I think there is something about being able to be present in relationships with the people that I'm with and not having to put some kind of arbitrary cap on it, I suppose. You know, um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of different ways that people practice non-monogamy. And for me, kind of the practice of like, okay, well, I'll have one quote unquote real partner and then everybody else is just sort of a bonus. Like that, that does work for some people. But I found that for me, I mean, the reality is, is like, it's basically impossible to dictate your feelings, right? It's basically impossible to tell yourself, okay, I'm only going to like fall in love with this one person. But if I'm going to date and like have sex with these other people, I'm just, I'm definitely not going to fall in love with them. Right. And, and I couldn't control my partner's, you know, feelings either. Right. And so at least for myself and like the kind of people that I tend to hang out with and that I tend to end up in relationship with, you know, I think there's just more of a motivation towards creating more of these like intimate relationships and intimate networks rather than not. But that's not to say, you know, sometimes people can misconstrue and can kind of put forward this impression that like polyamory is like the enlightened pinnacle of relationships or at least of non-monogamous relationships. And that's definitely not the case. You know, like I think that different flavors of relationship, different flavors of non-monogamy match different people and suit different people, you know? And so the practice of if you're choosing to be like, okay, I'm going to have like one emotionally entangled relationship and then everybody else that I connect with is going to be just for fun or hookups, like as long as everybody's consenting to that and happy to be a part of that dynamic, like I think that's also perfectly valid and a very healthy way to relate as well. Um, I'm curious, you said that, you know, your parents, you grew up in a conservative household. If you still have a relationship with your parents and like, how did you come out to them? I do. I am happy to say that I, I still have relationships with all of my family and I am out to the majority of my family. Where my family is right now is I would say that they're, they're, they generally land in the camp of being confused yet supportive. <laughs> And I'm happy to take that, honestly. You know, I came out to my mom specifically, gosh, I think 2013 or so. It's been quite a while now. And it was a little bit of a triple whammy of a come out conversation because not only was I coming out about the fact that I was polyamorous, but I also kind of had to come out about the fact that like, oh, also uh, I'm not straight and oh, also I'm not Christian anymore. Uh, so that was a lot to put on my mom all at once. It was a really difficult conversation. There was a lot of emotions that came out. But I, I will say that she got on board pretty quickly because not too long after coming out to her, she came down. I was living in L.A. at the time and she came down to visit and she got to meet both of my partners that I was dating at the time. And there was something about, I think, taking non-monogamy from being this weird freakish practice that either sex addicts or or you know these horrible people taking advantage of my daughter are practicing and into her being able to see people as human beings right and see people face to face and so that really changed you know and this is an example that supports a lot of the evidence that we have around what actually changes people's minds around things like, for instance, you know, this has really been studied with changing people's minds around trans issues or around queer rights that if someone is able to actually make a human connection, you know, like if someone actually knows a trans person, actually knows a queer person, actually knows a non-monogamous person, they're much more likely 
to give the benefit of the doubt, they're much more likely to kind of change their stance because it's been more humanized. And so I, I found with that experience with my mom, that was very much the case. That's amazing. And it makes it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. to like, it's no longer like the boogeyman. You like put right. a, a face to these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as like polyamory and non-monogamy are becoming more normalized, I think a lot of people find themselves dating and they meet someone that they connect with and that person is non-monogamous or polyamorous. And then it's sort of like, well, mm-hmm. if I want to be with this person, then I have to try that lifestyle. And so what are like, how would you help someone navigate if that is is the right lifestyle for them or not? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I, I often work with clients on, to be totally honest, that, you know, this is sort of a weird time where all of a sudden there is a lot more visibility of the wide range of relationship diversity and family diversity. I think that we are starting to see, and we're probably going to continue to see, I think a growing amount of panic about that as well. You know, I, I think especially people who are very happily monogamous or very, very much want monogamy. I, I think I'm starting to see this panic of like, oh my God, like I'm seeing all these people on the dating apps who are identifying as non-monogamous and oh my God, like no one's going to want to be monogamous anymore. I'm not going to get my needs met. You know, statistically, that's showing that's not really the case. Like monogamy, I think, is going to stay the relationship style a la mode for quite a while. But yeah, I think that when dating somebody new, if they're the ones introducing you to non-monogamy, of course, there's like a lot of factors that can go into whether or not this is right for you. But I think maybe one of the easiest rubrics that you can use is asking yourself, am I curious about exploring non-monogamy because this seems like something that could align with my interests and my values because I can envision myself maybe having a relationship that looks like that or living that kind of life? Or am I interested uh, just because of this one person? Or am I interested just because I'm afraid that if I'm not interested, then this person is not going to be around, right? Which is unfortunately, you know, something that happens a lot, right? Um, It happens on the other side too. It's like I end up also working with a lot of non-monogamous folks who are in the opposite situation of like, oh, I met this hottie on the dating app who really strictly wants monogamy and I'm interested and I don't know, and maybe I should, maybe I could be monogamous. You know, like this is something that a lot of people do have to to kind of chew on and process and think about for sure. What do you think determines someone's style? Like, do you think it's like something you're born with in the way we think about like sexuality? Is it something that like life experience shapes, personality traits? Like, why do you think some people favor one over the other? That's such a great question. And and that's a really common question too. As far as what the research says about this topic. We don't know a ton, you know, like really the best that the research has given us is that they can identify certain personality traits that perhaps might make someone more inclined to be in some type of non-monogamous relationship, right? So for instance, one of the very obvious ones is that if someone scores high in openness to new experiences in their personality, um, there's probably a higher chance that they're going to be more open, literally, to exploring some kind of non-monogamous relationship. So from a research perspective, people have been able to track like, okay, what are the personality traits? You know, but there's a correlation there. It's not necessarily clear that that's a causation. And so, you know, I get this question a lot where it is a little bit of a comparison to the sexuality thing, right? It's like, oh, is this is this something that's in your genetics or is this just a lifestyle? And 
from anecdotal evidence, like talking to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who are non-monogamous, like I've seen it run the gamut between some people who are like, yeah, this is just, you know, this is this is just my lifestyle. This is just a thing that I'm choosing to do. It's not necessarily an inherent part of my identity. Um, there's a really wonderful term floating around right now, ambiamory, which basically refers to someone who feels like they can be happy in either a monogamous relationship or a non-monogamous relationship. Like it doesn't feel like it's very intrinsic necessarily in the way that they choose to relate to people. So there's definitely people on that side of the spectrum. And then I've also met people who really hardcore know, no, this is me and this is never going to change about me. And this is probably the way I'm going to want to relate to people for the rest of my life. So like, unfortunately, the not very satisfying answer is it seems like it depends on the person. You know, it really does seem like it depends on the person. When I when I get that question in interviews, though, often we can follow sometimes what's behind that question in the sense of, you know, we can see the way things unfolded with questions about sexuality, right, and sexual orientation. And there's a little bit of this sense of like, oh, well, if this is something inherent to you, if this is something you're born with, then we can give you rights, <laughs> Mm-hmm. right because you didn't you didn't choose to be this way and so we can protect your sexuality when at the same time you know there are things like for instance like religion that we do choose to protect that's not necessarily something that somebody's born into so you know there is a piece of this where there are um not not to drift too far away from your question but like there are a lot of really wonderful folks working really really hard right now to secure more rights and protections for um, particularly like relationship and family diversity um, to, to try to protect people from employment, uh, employment discrimination, housing discrimination, custody discrimination, because unfortunately there are precedents for those things. And this is part of the, the I think this is going to become part of the bigger question around non-monogamy in general of like, is this an orientation? Is this a choice? And depending on the answer to that question, how do we deal with it as a culture? Yeah, I um thought about it for a while. Like, I think on paper I could be, but also I'm very busy and I don't know if I have <laughs> like enough time to <laughs> to manage everyone. Um, so uh-huh. this might sound really ridiculous, but do you have like time management that goes into your relationships? <laughs> Yes, I again, I think there's another meme floating around that like polyamorous people are just people who have like a Google calendar fetish. And um, (laughs) it's not 100% wrong. Like there's, there's definitely a certain amount of logistics and time management that goes into managing multiple relationships. You know, so some of that is special. Some of that is a specialized skill. Some of that does require someone who's like, interested in putting in that kind of effort or putting in that kind of intentionality or or has the capacity to, right? Like has the time and energy for that. And also it's not terribly different from like, you know, the time management and energy management that goes into maintaining a network of friends or maintaining a family, you know, like these are kind of the same human skill set, you know, us being human beings who want to stay connected to multiple people generally. Uh, while also battling with the realities of, you know, the economics that we live under, where time is very precious and often in short supply and same with our energy as well. So yeah, like, honestly, you know, having been non-monogamous for so long, I look back on my early days. And I'm just like, Oh, my God, how did I have the time for that many partners (laughs) back then? How did I have the time to go on dates? I will say that um, my non-monogamy for the past few years has been fairly chill. 
you know, it's been fairly like, great, I'm going to have like two partners and, um, and like not going to go on a ton of dates or like be trying to acquire a ton of new people necessarily. And we're going to kind of keep the schedule pretty simple here. Like that's definitely a factor here for sure. Yeah. What is your current relationship status? If, if I may be so nosy. (laughs) Yeah. So currently, um, you know, my partner, Jace and I, we've been together for about 10 years now. He's one of the co-hosts of the podcast. We co-host the podcast along with our friend, Emily, and then my other partner, Ben, who I've been in a really, uh, it's hard to answer that question about, about how long we've been in a relationship because we've known each other and been friends for like 15 years and there's been some on again, off again, but uh, we've been in a relationship, essentially like romantic relationship for a couple of years now. And uh that's that's where things stand right now. And unfortunately, it's not as exciting as a lot of people really wish that it was. Like, I don't have tales of just like constant wild weekend orgies. If anything, mostly it's tales of like, yes, this fight about the dishes I had with one partner, I also ended up having with another. So that's uh, that's the real scoop, I guess. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, and let me tell you, you do, head over to patreon.com slash justbetweenus, and for $3 a month, you can get access to all of our podcast episodes in full ad-free. You can also get merch for this podcast at justbetweenuspod.com or alisonraskinexposed.com. Okay, that's it. Tatala T2. Tatala T2. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.